0: Good
1: morning. Good to be gathered with you here this morning. If you're outside, I I'd want you to make your way in. Yeah, it's good to be with you this morning here at Free Lake Evangelical Free Church. If you're visiting or new, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. It's just a joy to come together um, as God's people in this place this morning and to to worship Him. So like one of the Themes of you in the sermon this morning will be worship, and so we get a chance now to join together and sing to our God.
0: Alright, could you please stand with us as we start worship out this morning?
1: Well, I said a it's good to be with you this morning here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church If you're visiting or new it's a little bit about us at the church we want to be about three things at the church right? we want to first we want to reach people with the gospel and then we want to grow to be like Christ and we want to serve other people and so in your bulletin there's ways kind of to do each of those things, so, when it comes to reaching people with the gospel, I believe the best way to do that is by being just engaged with our neighbors and with our friends and our co-workers and uh, just being intentional and having meaningful conversations with them. When it comes to growing to be like Christ, one of the things we have coming up is small groups starting um, this week. And so, enter, to insert in your bulletin that has information about groups that are starting, if you're Interested in joining one of those groups and taking part? You can email the leader at the contact information that's on there, um, they can give you more information about their group. Um, when it comes to serving others, one opportunity we have to do that coming up is having a, a leaf blowing day um, on Saturday, the 16th, just to kind of clear leaves out. So if you're interested in that, you can contact the church office. Also, along with serving, um, yesterday many of you served. Uh, helping with the three-eagle, half-marathon, and 5K. And so, um, Nate, Coach, you could come just say a few words about that.
2: So I just want to say thank you guys that came out and helped at our aid station. Uh, This was our biggest year we've ever had. We had um, 528 pre-registered runners, which we've never broken 500 before. And by the time we had done race day registration, I think we were at... 574 Um, We had a lot of people Here in the church running Um, Saw Pastor Tim out there I saw Glenn out there uh, Janie, they all did the half marathon There we had I want to say half the kids in the church running Um, And They cleaned up the 5k I mean it was There were so many awards given out To to our uh, Young kids and as someone who coaches track and is involved in the running community here. I look forward to having them as they get older. And I mean, we're going to make some dynamite cross-country teams. I don't know, maybe we just need a church (laughs) cross-country team. but um, no. So thank you guys. Um, The weather, of course, was beautiful. We were really blessed in that way. We were able to hold all the awards and everything outside. And uh, um, I know our aid station is probably the most important one simply because it does serve both the 5K and the half marathon, Um, and with that many runners, it makes it that much more important. So um, thank you there. Um, One other thing, if you guys, we've been talking about a little bit, the Tolkien group, um, that's going to start up a week from tomorrow, um, if you will come talk to me and say, yes, we're for sure planning on coming. I've had a lot of you express interest, um, but I've only had a few who say, yes, definitely going to be there just because that helps me plan and figure out, if we need to change a venue, because if everyone that says they're interested actually shows up, I don't have a big enough house. Um, so if you would just let me know that, that would be great.
1: This, this morning we're also going to we're going to take communion at the end of our worship service together. So on your way in, there was a, a basket with communion elements in there. If you missed that, you can sneak out at some point and. Just, grab one of those, but we will take communion together at the end of our, our worship time. And as part of that, we also, when we take communion, we also take a benevolence offering to help meet the needs of the community. And so there'll be someone at one of the back doors holding a tray that will be designated for the benevolence offering that will go toward meeting community needs. Um, regular tithes and offerings can go in the boxes that are mounted on the back wall, or you can give online. Um, but those are the ways... To give. Um, And so, we want to continue our time of worship just by preparing our hearts um, in prayer. Father, we come and we are thankful for all the good gifts you've given us, things that we so often take for granted. And things that we are very aware of. And we just... We want to come before you this morning as we worship, fully aware of how good you are to us, even though life is hard at times, there are challenges and trials, you are still far better to us than you, than we deserve. You are gracious and loving and merciful, so I just pray that we worship you this morning through song. that. Our word and our minds and our singing would reflect how worthy of praise you are. Praise in Jesus' name, Amen.
0: I ask you to stand again as we continue with our worship um, segment here, and all our pastor is going to be talking about Psalms 100 today, as we continue in Psalms, and it's all about praising. So you can catch the not so subtle theme here this morning in the music.
1: For granted, but we praise you every moment, all our days, praise in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Before we jump in, this morning, just a little bit about kind of where we're headed. Should we look ahead for the next few weeklies. Our fifth week in the book of Psalms, we kind of spent one week on each of kind of five broad categories of Psalms, and today we wrap up looking at a Psalm of Thanksgiving in Psalm 100. Um, So this is our last week in the book of Psalms, So next week we will go back and start kind of our fourth section through Luke. We've been making our way through Luke for the past nearly a year now, on and off, so we'll start. Returning to Luke next week, we'll be on Luke for then 10, 12 weeks, somewhere in there. So that's kind of the plan going forward. We're in Psalm 100 this morning. So in in the TV show, The Office, there's this there's this episode where the character Dwight, he's on a mission right, to get everyone in the office on his side so that he can call in a favor later. He's got this plan. He's going to start just do all these nice things for everyone so we can call him the favor later. But there's another character, a guy named Andy, who kind of throws a wrench into Dwight's plan. Andy's very proud of his like, very proper upbringing and proper manners. And so he's like continually, every time Dwight would do something nice, Andy tries to match his niceness. So he never has to owe Dwight anything. And so Dwight brings... The whole office bagels for breakfast, and Andy responds by buying the whole office lunch. Dwight deep cleans the freezer, and Andy responds by polishing Dwight's briefcase. Now there's this one moment where they're like both walking back to their desks, which are near each other, and they both like pull out the other person's chair right, and refuse to sit down until the other person sits down first. Like it's much funnier watching it than I can possibly describe it. Here, But it's, it's funny. Right? Right. But then at one point in this scene, like the, the camera cuts to Andy kind of just talking to the camera. And he says this about his kind of personal view of being in someone's debt. He says, You give me a gift? Bam. Thank you note. You invite me somewhere? Pow. RSVP. You do me a favor? Wham. Favor returned. Do not test my politeness. <laughs> and then he says... What if Dwight dies and I still owe him something? That is a recipe for a ghost. <laughs> right? And so like, we won't, hopefully, articulate it quite that way. But many of us feel that kind of sense in one way or another. Or that, like, If someone does something nice for us, we feel a burden to return the favor in some way. But the question then becomes, what happens when someone does you a favor that you can't ever quite fully... Repay. Like in the movie White Christmas, like the character Phil he saves Bob's life by pulling him away from a, a falling wall, and then the wall falls on Phil and like hurts his arm. But he saves Bob's life. And then Phil like repeatedly uses those heroics to get Bob to do things that he wants him to do. Because he like, always reminds Bob of like, his hurt arm and how he saved him and like, kind of guilt him into doing stuff for him. And Phil knows that like, no matter how many favors he asks Bob for, Bob will still owe him. Right? Because like, all the favors in the world will never match having your life saved by someone else. At one point in that movie, like, it gets so out of hand that like, Bob quips that he just wishes that Phil had let the wall just fall on him. Right, cause maybe he would have survived, then he wouldn't have to, oh, Phil, all these favors. Right. Or in the show, like, The Big Bang Theory, like there's these two main characters, Leonard and Sheldon, they're roommates, and Sheldon's this super obnoxious, hard-to-live-with roommate, and you wonder, like, why would Leonard put up with all this? But then in one episode, kind of halfway through the series, it's revealed that like Sheldon once saved Leonard's life by throwing a canister of, like Rocky feels, they like to explode down the elevator shaft, saving Leonard. And now Leonard feels obliged to put up with all of Sheldon's antics. And so here's the point: of all that, right? which is that like when other people show us kindness, like we're kind of hardwired to feel some sense of need to reciprocate by like thank them by reciprocating. But sometimes people do things for us that we can never fully articulate our thankfulness for we can never fully pay back and like we're left to wrestle with the question like how can i properly show my gratitude to someone i can't ever fully pay back and if that's true in human relationships how much harder is it to adequately express our thankfulness to god We can't give Him anything. First of all, He has no need of anything, and everything we had that we could possibly give Him, we only had because He gave it to us. So like, how? How do we show our thankfulness to God for what He has done for us? That's a question that the Psalms of Thanksgiving seek to answer. And Psalm 100 is one of those Psalms of Thanksgiving that we have in the Bible. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Psalm 100. If you need one, there should be one in the seat in front of you. And if you turn there, it's worth noting that Psalm 100 is kind of the the last in a series of eight Psalms that are all about God reigning over King, reigning as King over all of creation. So Psalm 93 is the first Psalm in that series, and it starts by saying, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty the Lord is robed. He has put on, a, put on strength at His belt. Yet, yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Right, so Psalms 93 through 100 are all about God reigning as King over all of creation. That's when we arrive at Psalm... 100, right, we'll see that like, this is all about like, thanking God for his reign as king. And before you even get into the psalm itself, this psalm has a superscription, like above verse 1, that says, depending on your translation, either a psalm for giving thanks or a psalm for giving grateful praise. And so, like, this psalm, Psalm 100, is all about giving thanks. Giving grateful praise to God for the fact that He reigns over all creation. That's what this psalm is about. Like, how do we give thanks to God? And interestingly, like, there's many psalms that talk about giving thanks to God, but this is the only psalm of all 150 that explicitly calls itself a psalm for giving thanks. Like, that calls itself a psalm of thanksgiving. So the psalm has a lot to teach us about what it looks like to give thanks to God. If I could kind of summarize it in one brief sentence, it would be this. Thankfulness for what God has done and for who God is should move us to respond. Having this sense of this feeling of thankfulness for what God has done for us and for who God is should move us to respond to God. And in particular, we'll see in this psalm, there are kind of seven ways this psalm calls us to respond. Seven ways to give grateful praise to God. But before we look at those seven ways, we want to look at first why this psalm says we should give praise. Which is who God is and what He has done. let's read this psalm together. Psalm 100, starting in verse 1, we read, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him, Bless His name, for the Lord is good; His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. So, if you can like flash back to high school English, right, which for me was not somewhere I want to flash back to, but if you did for just a second, and like you like thought about breaking this Psalm down based on like parts of speech, you would notice that. There are seven prominent verbs in this psalm, and they're all what we call imperatives, which means like basically commands. So there are seven commands in this psalm. And given that only, there's only 12 lines total in this psalm, and so the fact that there's seven commands I means there's one on more than half the lines. There's a lot of commands in the psalm, but the psalmist doesn't merely only give us commands. He also gives us the reason why we have to obey those commands. Twice during the psalm, once in the middle and once at the end, the psalm kind of interrupts his list of imperatives in order to remind us of the two reasons we should be doing the things he is calling us to do. And those, those two reasons why really form the backbone of this psalm. So that's where I want to start. Because, like, before we can really properly understand what, we're supposed to do. We need to understand why we should do it. Otherwise, we're just going through the motions. We need to probably understand why first. And so we see the first of the whys in verse 3. And in verse 3 it says, It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So the first reason the psalmist calls us to give thanks to God is for what God has done. And really, there's two things that God does here that laid out. Like, First, God makes us. First, God's worthy of praise because He made us, period, generally. Just He made us. He created us. And then secondly, not only did He make us, but He made us His people more specifically. Right. And in other words, we should give thanks to God, first because He created us, and then second because He redeemed us. He made us His people. Those are kind of the two bedrock truths of our relationship with God. God. I think it's worth our time just to spend a little bit of time thinking and looking at what the Bible has to say about each of those truths. Like, so we start with the fact that God made us. And of course, like, the claim that God made us is made in the Bible way back at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we read, "Then God, said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the bird of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image, in the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. That's just the like, foundational truth of our existence. God made us. Without God, like we don't exist. So if we have anything to be thankful for, anything to give thanks about whatsoever, then, like, first and foremost, we have to be thankful that we're here, right, that God made us. But, like, the thing is, right, there's a long, long, long list of things that I'm good at like taking for granted, right, that I don't reflect on enough, that I just take for granted. Right? But, like, My existence is probably pretty high on that list. I just I take it for granted, right? I'm here, but the author, Dr. Ali Benazir, he like attempted to calculate the odds that any given any one given person would exist. So he tried to consider all of the reasons that you happened to exist, right? Like all the things that had to take place. Like your dad had to meet your mom, your grandpas had to meet your grandmas, and so on all the way back, to like. Like all your ancestors had to live to the age of having children. The timing of certain events had to be just right from generation after generation after generation so that you would come and be here right now. And in the end, the number that Dr. Benazir came up with was 1 in 10 to the 2,685,000th power right, that you would exist. Right? That's 1 in 10 followed by more than 2,000,000 000, 000 zeros. Doctor Benazir puts it this way: If you got two million people together and had them all roll a trillion-sided die, the odds of you existing are the same as the odds of all two million people ro- that, that all two million people roll the same number on their trillion-sided die.
0: Right?
1: Like Which just say that the odds that any one of us exists are like unfathomably small. And yet, each of us is sitting here this morning. By just the fact that we exist, that we're here, is a miracle worth thanking God for. But not only did God bring us into existence by, like, maybe like winding up the clock of history and allowing things to unfold so that we're here, it's more than that. Not only do we exist, but God—we exist because God took special care in creating each one of us. David said in Psalm 139 that God created his innermost being and that God knit him together in his mother's womb. Like you are here, like living, breathing, sitting in that seat right now because the God who spoke the universe into existence also took the time to lovingly create your Innermost being to lovingly knit you personally together in your mother's womb. And I just like I wonder like how often do we take time to be thankful to God that He created us, not only that He created us, but that He created us with the abilities and the health that we have. The past two weeks, we've looked at psalms where the psalmist is kind of upset with God about certain aspects of his life. we looked at a psalm of lament where the psalmist is like rightfully hurt. And we said in those psalms that it is good and it is right to bring our hurt and our pains and even our complaints before God. But here's the thing. We're... We're really quick, when things go wrong, to run to God and say, like, God, why did you let this happen to me? Right? But if we're kind of logical about it, right? if, you, if you believe that God has some responsibility in the bad things that happen to you, right? then you also have to acknowledge that God had responsibility in every bad thing that doesn't happen to you. Just this week, I saw someone post on social media, and they said, like, praise the Lord, I'm cancer-free. Right? And indeed, like, that is something worth praising and thanking God for. But it struck me as I read that post. Right? As far as I know, like, that statement's been true every day of my 34 years of life. And I've never stopped and said, God, thank you that I'm cancer-free. Because it never crossed my mind, because I never had cancer. Right? It's so easy to take all the good things, all the good health that God gives us for granted. Like my lungs work because I God made them to work. My legs work because God made them to work. I can read and think and stand up here and deliver a sermon because God gave me a brain capable of doing those things, and I. Take them for granted. I basically never stop. Just thank God for all those good things that He has given me. They just seem like some kind of right that I have and I take them for granted. But we should be thanking God for those things. We should thank God because He is our Creator who made us. Who made us in our innermost being who knit us together in it. Our mother's womb and who in making us made us with abilities that are fundamental to human life. So like today and throughout this week, I just encourage you to be aware of the fact that God made you. To thank Him for that. To be thankful to Him. But God. Creation of us. It's not the only thing that the psalmist says we should be thankful for. Not only did God make us generally, not only he created us, but he also made us his people, the sheep of his pasture, as the psalmist says. And here's the incredible thing about that statement. If you look at verse 1, this psalm is addressed to the entire earth. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth, like all the peoples of the earth. Like this psalm is for you. It's really easy. Like one of the criticisms of God in the Old Testament sometimes is that he was like only focused on the people of Israel. That he never showed care about the rest of the world. But verses like this show us that like God does and did, even in the Old Testament, care about the whole earth. He desires that people everywhere would praise him. And the failure of faith in God to spread throughout the world during the Old Testament times was more a failure on Israel's part and not, not a choice God made. Like Shortly after God created Adam and Eve back in Genesis 1, which we read, Adam and Eve sin and they break their perfect relationship with God. They chose to reject God as king and try to make themselves their own king over their own little dominions. They decided they could do better on their own. They decided, basically, they didn't want to be God's people anymore. They wanted to be their own people, their own rulers. But Adam and Eve and their descendant quickly learned that rejecting God and trying to do things their own way was nothing but a recipe for pain and death and disaster. And God had went would have been perfectly right and just to let them and the rest of humanity just deal with the consequences of rejecting God forever, providing no way to once again be God's people. But out of His love for us, God didn't do that. God set about rescuing us and making us His people once again. He committed to making a way for each of us to be restored to a right relationship with Him. And the rest of the Bible really from Genesis 3 on is one big story about how God is doing that how God is bringing us back to be his people and for most of the Old Testament like that story is indeed focused on Israel. In Genesis 12 God calls Abraham to go to what would eventually be the land of Israel and to and tell Abraham that he can be the father of a great nation that will become Israel and that's kind of the story God's planned to bring a people back to himself. And eventually, over the course of a long, long, long time, with many ups and downs, Israel does indeed grow into a sizable nation. The problem is that Israel grew, it became very inwardly focused. They worried more about themselves and their own security rather than advancing God's kingdom the way God had called them to do. But chapters, like Psalm 100, with a command to make a joyful noise, all the earth, they remind us that God's heart has always been for all people everywhere, not just for one select people group. And so the Old Testament, right? It's so the story of God beginning the process of reclaiming a people for Himself. But ultimately, when the Old Testament ends... Like that picture is very far away from being reality. Right? Even like the prospects of it ever becoming reality seem dim. Like God's people have been captured, they're off in exile. Like how is God ever going to build a people for himself out of that? When the New Testament opens and Jesus comes down the scene and Jesus takes care of the one big problem that separates God from his people namely that He takes care of sin. When Jesus goes to the cross and He dies in our place, Jesus makes it possible for us to become God's people again by removing that barrier of sin. And in fact, when Jesus is describing what He's about in John chapter 10, He uses the same kind of shepherd imagery that the psalmist uses here in Psalm 100. The psalmist says, We are the sheep of God's pasture. And Jesus in John 10 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Here's the point in all this. In sending Jesus, God has done an incredible thing to make it possible for us to be restored as members of God's people. By providing a way for our sins to be forgiven as we place our faith in Jesus. God makes it possible for us to be his people once again. Even though like through our sin we are like we are sheep that have wandered far from the flock. Jesus, the good shepherd, he comes and he, he came and he found us and he returned us to the flock. And we should I continually be thanking God for what He did in sending Jesus to find us when we were lost and bring us back into God's people. So, God, only, God not only created us, but through Jesus, He redeems us. He makes us part of His people. And that should drive us again to give thanks. We should thank God for what He has done for us in making us and in redeeming us, But Psalm 100 tells us we should be thankful not just for what God has done, but also for who God is. And we see that in verse chapter five, in verse five, or yeah, in verse five, we read, "For the Lord is good; his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations." So the psalmist here kind of highlights three truths about who God is. Very quickly, first he says "Like God is good. And like to our ears, that seems pretty obvious. Like, of course, God is good. But at the time the psalmist was writing, like, saying God was good was not a super obvious statement. Right? Most of the gods that ancient people believed in were fickle, capricious, vengeful beings that needed to be appeased. Right? So the idea of a good God... It's rather novel. So like, Yahweh then, the, the God of the Israelites, was distinct merely by being good. But not only is he good, he's also loving. The psalmist says, his steadfast love endures forever. Like, we don't have to worry that like, we're going to wake up tomorrow and discover that God's gotten tired of us and no longer loves us. He is loving and his love endures forever. So God is good and he is loving, and finally, verse five tells us he is also faithful. He's faithful to all generations. And again, we don't have to worry about that faithfulness running out. Everything God has promised will come to pass. It may not always be on our preferred timetable. May not happen just the way we imagined it would happen. But God is faithful to keep His Word. God is good, God is loving, and God is faithful. That it's who God is. And those attributes should drive us to thankfulness. But again, like, I can be so prone to taking these attributes for granted. And if that's true for you as well, then I just encourage you, again today and throughout this week, to reflect on the fact that God is good, God is loving, and God is faithful. Just take time to thank God for those things. And then having reflected on those things that the psalmist then calls us to respond. And we said in the beginning like this psalm gives us seven commands, seven imperative words of things to do that are ways to respond with thankfulness the verse one says make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth or sometimes I can say shout for joy to the Lord all the earth this one can be a little bit challenging for me like I'm not really the shouting type like I'm not even really the joyful noise type like I'm more like the quiet subdued end of the spectrum so it's not doesn't come naturally to me, right? But I was kind of thinking about this this week. And like, my mind as I was thinking about what this looks like went to a number of times that like something especially exciting happened in a, like, a sporting event that I cared deeply about. And it's been a few moments in those times when, like, a joyful noise, like, erupted from me, like... There's been other times where less joyful noises erupted from me as well, but that's not the point of this. Right? And so like, but there, those, there are times when like joyful noises really erupt from me. Right? And if sport can do that to me, right? like how much more should what God has done for me cause me to joyfully celebrate at times?
0: Yeah?
1: And our, our times of musical worship on Sunday mornings are kind of the ideal time for, for that to happen. Like you'd be hard pressed to call what comes out of my mouth on Sunday morning like singing, right? But you can call it a joyful noise. And that's, that's generous enough, right? But so if we come and we sing together, like that's a chance to express a joyful noise to the Lord for what He has done for us. It's a chance to to praise God. The second and third commands are found in in verse two, and they say serve the Lord with gladness and come into His presence with singing. The one way we can express our thankfulness to God is through serving Him or by, by living our life in a way that aligns with how He has called us to live and to do it joyfully right? not begrudgingly, not just because you have to, but do it with joy. And then recall the third command to come into His presence with singing. And that word, come into a presence, that word, come, has kind of relational connotations. There's a way of kind of going through the motions, of living like a Christian, of even coming to church and worshiping on Sunday, that still keeps God at a distance, that's not coming into His presence. So often, Sunday mornings, I stand over there as we sing worship songs and like, I'm listening to the song, but also, like, my brain's kind of running through the sermon and thinking about all things that I should have said during announcements that I forgot. And, like, like my brain, my mind is not, I'm not coming into the presence of God during that, that time. So, like, worship is more than just standing there and singing along with the song, but it's coming before God and, like, actually praising Him and being in His presence as we sing those songs. It can be hard when there distractions and there other things in our mind, but it's a way we show our thankfulness and we put all those things aside and come into a presence with singing. And if I really understand like, who God is and really understand like, what God has done for me, then I'll put aside those other things for a moment and I'll come before Him like, relationally. The fourth command of the psalmist to know that the Lord is God. We're commanded to know, to know the Lord, and to know that He is God. And that word know can have a couple different meanings. So as Nate said earlier, like I yesterday I ran the half marathon from Eagle River to Three Lakes. And that, that race finishes at the writer's center, which is like two blocks from our house, so like close to home. And so like at the start of that race, like I, I knew I could run a half marathon. Like I, I had trained. I, I knew in my head that I was capable of it. But there's also a bit of an unknown factor. Right? That race starts out in Eagle River, following a portion of a trail that I'd not run before. So like I, never run the Eagle River end of the trail. I run down here, but so I'm like unfamiliar with it. Like maybe it's a harder run than I know and could. Something could go wrong, but then, about eight miles into the run, we hit the stretch of trail that I run like almost every morning right? and we hit that stretch, like five miles from the finish, and like, I had the thought in my head as I like, got to a familiar point, like, oh, now you know you can do this right? like, like, there's a different that 's a different kind of knowing than I had at the beginning like at the beginning, I knew that I could finish but I hit that stretch that I was familiar with that I'd run dozens and dozens of times and then I knew I could finish it's an an experiential knowledge that has come from having run that stretch so many times and that that experiential knowledge gave me a whole new sense of a whole new level of confidence that it really was true that I really was going to finish And that kind of experiential knowledge is what the psalmist is urging us towards here. He wants us to know God, not just in our heads, not just vaguely, but he wants us to know God by having experience firsthand that the Lord is God. And the way we gain that experiential knowledge is by walking through life, relying on God, by seeing God. Be good and loving and faithful to us through all of life's ups and downs. But many of us are prone to like turn away from God, both when things are really good because then we think we got it in our own power, or when things are really bad because then we're mad at God. If we turn away from God in both those extremes, when we do that, then we miss the opportunity to gain that experiential knowledge of God. This list, the command to know that the Lord is God. It's a command really to stay faithful to God through all of life's ups and downs, to see Him be God in the good and in the bad. And the final three commands of this psalm are all found in verse 4. And they're all related to to worshipping again. Verse 4 says, Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise give thanks to Him, bless His name. And that, ultimately, is the message of this psalm. God has done more for us than we could ever possibly repay. But one day, people from every tribe and nation and tongue will give thanks to Him by drawing near to Him, praising and blessing His name. And it's easy to look out at the world today and wonder, like, is that really happening? Are people really praising His name? Are things going the way they're supposed to? But the Bible, at its very end, paints out this beautiful picture of what this will look like when it all comes to fruition. In Revelation chapter 7, John gets a vision of, this, of the future where this psalm is fully realized. He says this, starting in verse 9, And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. There is coming a day when God will be worshipped and praised and thanked for all that He has done. by people of every nation and tribe and tongue. But until that day comes, that like he has called us even here and now to express our thankfulness to him by pouring out our praise. And one of the, one of the gifts that God gives us in helping us do that, is he gives us tangible reminders of what he has done for us. And no act of God is more worth praising him for than what he did for us on the cross And no reminder of what Jesus did is more tangible than communion. And taking communion as we hold the bread, we remember His broken body that He gave for us. As we drink the cup, we remember His blood spilled out for us that our sins could be forgiven and we could be God's people once again. So we're going to take communion just a few minutes. Before we do that, I'm just going to give us a few minutes to reflect in particular in this time that we had to reflect I'm I'm going to invite you to think about all the things you take for granted that are good gifts from God I'm going to pray now give us a few minutes of quiet reflection then I'll come back and lead us in taking communion and then the worship team is going to lead us in one more song after we take communion let's pray Father, we do indeed praise you for all you've done for us. Above all, for what you've done for us through Jesus and through his death on the cross. God, I confess that I'm so prone to quickly take so many of your good gifts for granted. But in these quiet moments, that you help us to see Your good Mm -hmm. gifts and to pour out our things to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. A tangible reminder of the good gift God gave us, sending Jesus to have his body broken for us so we could be forgiven of our sins. And the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he, he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup and saying, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me." Father, we thank you for this gift, for this reminder. I'm going to move us to give you thanks and praise now, in Jesus' name, Amen. praising God, thanking God for all the great gifts He has given to us and above all for the gifts He has given us in Jesus. You are dismissed.